Welcome to Technado. Welcome to another episode of Technado. I am one third of your hosting team here, Sophie Goodwin. I wanted to remind you that uh, Technado is sponsored by ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. If you're interested in an IT Pro membership, you can use that discount code Technado30 to get a nice little discount on your membership. I am also, like I said, I'm one third of the team here. I'm also joined by Don Pazette. Don, how are you? I am doing great. Exciting week ahead of us. We've got uh, some nice little conspiracy theory stuff, which is really my favorite articles. I look for those every week. Uh, hard to find a good conspiracy these days, but uh, but yeah, just a lot of neat things going on. Yeah, what is, what is the world coming to when you can't find a good conspiracy in the news? We're talking about conspiracies and cheese today, so you you know it's <laughs> going to be a good day. And of course, we've also got Daniel Lowry over on the other end of the table. How are you, Daniel? I'm well. I'm over here thinking about like if we were to create our own conspiracies, could we then also categorize ourselves as something like I know that like QAnon is taken and blue anon, but what anon would we be? Would we be tech anon or didn't we have the unofficial conspiracy theory for us for a while that the moon was hollow and George Washington had set up a base there? I vaguely remember this, yes. I think maybe we need to double down we just on that. Bring that back. Yeah. 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 It was a good. I might need a crash course in that because yeah. I, I think I might have missed that one. Yeah, we have a whole web page somewhere. Yeah. Gotta, <laughs> it's on the dark web. We, we brought it up on the dark web. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was a, that was a while we'll, ago. We'll put out a Spot. poll or something. New name for the podcast and anon anonado or something. Uh, anon. I don't know. Anonymanado. I, I think you just pick a letter, right? You like yeah. N anon or there you go. Z anon. Don anon. Yeah, just go straight to the end. Yeah, Z. No one. Yeah, yeah. Sure. No one's going past us. Yeah, that won't be taken. <laughs> well, we, we will get to the George Washington moon conspiracy theory eventually, I would imagine. But for now, we'll go ahead and jump into some of these articles that we've got here today. This first one comes to us from Ars Technica. It says, time's up, Microsoft, which is threatening. Windows feature that resets system clocks based on random data is wreaking havoc. And from what I read here, this is a feature that was actually intended to make sure that the time was correct. It was supposed to be like a fail-safe kind of thing, and, and it's actually the thing that's causing problems. Is that right? So, uh you know, the, the thinking phrase... of the happy Gilmore. Where were you on that one, dipshit? <laughs> <laughs> <Right? laughs> the the phrase that comes to my mind is the the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? And I like and, mine better. <laughs> <laughs> and that is exactly what's happened here. Uh, Microsoft introduced a feature actually several years ago. Uh, I think the, the issue was first reported back in 2019, so it's been around for a little while. They introduced a feature with the best of intentions, right? The thought was, hey, if you've got a computer that's turned off and powered down, when you turn it on, the clock might be wrong. We, we've all seen that, right? This happens. Um, a lot of computers have a little... Uh, CMOS battery. Yeah, what is it, 2032 yeah. battery that's on the motherboard, and, and it uses that to keep its clock accurate. Some so of them are 2025s. Up. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> so... So there's a clock and it's important, right? It's especially important in today's security world because things like TLS, you know, IPsec, whatever encryption algorithms you're using, they expect accurate timing to be able to use that as part of the formulas they use to encrypt your data. If your clock is too offset, you might not be able to securely communicate with it or, or communicate at all. With or the, log the, in. Yeah, right? Active Directory yeah, is like Active a five minute. hates that crap yep. when you ain't right, man. And then how do you get in after that, right? You have to go into the BIOS and change the the system time so that you can get the thing to think that it's the right time again. Yeah. So, you know, what what, what is one to do if you think that you might turn a computer on and the clock is wrong and it can't securely communicate? Well, you could reach out to an NTP server and sync up right at boot, but you wouldn't be able to do that securely if your clock was too wrong. So someone at Microsoft, and they, they haven't named names, but, you know, it's probably Bob down in engineering. <laughs> uh, and Bob had this great oh, idea. Bob. 
<laughs> and he said, what if we could come up with a secure mechanism to do this? When you connect to a, a host with TLS, you know, like go to any secure web page, as part of the handshake that happens for TLS, there's a field that's handed off with the Unix time, the standard Unix time that's in there, right? The, the Unix epoch time is how many seconds it's been since January 1st, 1970. Yeah. Because Unix. Whatever. And, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, so they, they hand that off. And so what the engineers thought was Windows could trust that, could, could reach out to a, a couple of different servers, measure that Unix time, take the average of it, and use it as the time to be able to, to boot up and then reach out securely to a trusted time server and synchronize time accurately. Well, the problem is, back in 2019, actually a little bit before that even, uh, OpenSSL modified that field to not store standard Unix time, but instead to store a completely random integer, just a random number that means absolutely nothing. And the result is that a small portion of Windows servers will randomly set their clock to something insane maybe 55 days in the future, maybe 15 days in the past. We're not talking hours. We're talking entire days, months, right? Uh, when did my computer slip off the toilet and hit its head <laughs> and then create the idea for the flux capacitor? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the, the Ars Technica article has like a nightmare scenario in it, right? Imagine you have a database server that's issuing out identifiers, like unique identifiers to resources. That's not based off of time at all, is it, Don? Well. You would think, right? And uh, and if you jump back in time, you might reissue numbers because you don't show the ones that's already being issued. There's a nightmare. If you jump forward in time, you're skipping a whole big area. So you've got a bunch of unaccounted for identifiers. It's a nightmare. Mm. Uh, Daniel, you mentioned Active Directory. Right? Mm. Totally destroys that. If, it, if you leap that far ahead. Uh, yeah, get ready for a good time. And, and there's a number of other things. Sleeping in your office while you fix this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... It's bad, and this is one of those features that Microsoft was trying to make something a little more secure, but the end result was they've created a bit of a debacle. I find it interesting that we don't have a secure time protocol. We have a secure everything else protocol. How is it that can we not set up a secure mechanism for like checking time servers? So there is. I mean, so you can why do, do a, they say that they don't have a secure way to check time? The problem is if your clock is so far off, you can't establish that secure connection. Your your TLS session will fail. Oh, because the TLS, yep. the, the stupid. That's yeah, that is dumb. And <laughs> and so you could you could fail to not using TLS, but yeah. then somebody could intercept that. And, the time. The time. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know if you want to do a replay attack. Right. Yeah. Replay attacks don't work because you can't control the clock on the other system. But if they're doing an unsecure connection to a time server, you could roll them back three days and replay network traffic you sniffed three days ago. Uh, you know that that would be the the risk there. Interesting. Interesting. I think maybe they've got some Rocky Horror Picture Show fans at Microsoft. They just want to do the time warp. That's all that oh, is. Oh, jeez. I hate that movie. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people do. I don't think you're alone yeah, in that. You know, I find that another interesting thing. Like I've never thought Rocky Horror Picture Show was like a a thing to do that I would want. To it do puts anyway. the cult yeah. in cult classic. Yeah. For and me, it, 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 we're off the rails now, but uh, yeah. for me, it's just musicals in general. I, I hate it when yeah, Don people hates sing. Me. He's like, <laughs> the, I don't the, like the when the there's Simpsons joy. episodes that he hates are the ones where they're musicals. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, <the> Springfield, Springfield. <laughs> <laughs> the only movie with singing that I appreciated was the South Park movie. Oh, that, okay. <laughs> that checks. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And Weird Al, you like Weird Al? I do like Weird Al, right. but but you know he's a singer. It's, it's yeah. not like he's giving right. me a movie and he starts singing. Well, he did. 
Uh, that's true. It was well, you a, expect that because he is a singer. It's not like a movie. Right. I, I kind of like yeah. go it's, in expecting that. Like I don't want to yeah. hear Hugh Jackman sing. What? Like the, <laughs> you don't want Wolverine My and, kids and a four-part love harmony? The Greatest Showman, man. They think that's yeah. just the greatest film ever. They think it's the greatest the greatest showman. Yeah. 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 So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to throw us off. It just, yeah. I was like, oh, that's funny. So oh. I, one thing that I thought was interesting was that like this is not it's not like this is something that, well, there's this problem, and here's this fix, and boom, we're done. It's like, it doesn't always do this. It's just kind of random. So how do you fix a problem like that? All right. So what you need to do as an IT worker is evaluate how much you care about this. I was right? going to say cry. <laughs> you, you, you're probably already doing Lots that. Lots of like sobbing. That, that box is already checked. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, so basically, what, what you need to do is look at this and say, am I really getting a benefit out of this, right? If you are powering servers off for a long period of time and are likely to have an incorrect clock then this is a good feature for you. You should probably hang on to it, right? Mm. However, because this data doesn't actually work uh, in, in a lot of scenarios, if you have a lot of Linux servers, it definitely doesn't work. Uh, and if you don't power off servers for a long time, then this is not a problem you've got. You would actually be better off disabling this feature. You don't necessarily need it. Uh, it is, the, the feature itself is called STS, which I have forgotten what that stands for. Secure uh, time seeding or something yep, like that. Secure time seeding. Perfect. Uh, so that is just a feature inside of Windows that you can disable and not a bad idea to disable it. Mm. Uh, but I this see is, a group policy object coming out. Yeah. <laughs> I, and, and Daniel, you see this all the time. This is one of those, those spots where it's not a one size fits all. You've got to evaluate what you think the risk is. Is this security feature worth it? And I compare this to like the Spectre and Meltdown mitigations hmm. where, hey, if I'm AWS and I've got hosts that are or hypervisor hosts and I'm worried about that attack, I need those Spectre and Meltdown mitigations. But if I'm on my own laptop, Spectre and Meltdown are literally a non-issue. Yeah. I'm not going to give up 20% of my CPU performance. I'm going to turn those off. I always love how um, on my virtual machines on my laptop are always like, hey, you've got those the Spectre meltdown mitigations probably going to put a hit on that performance. Yeah. I want to disable those. I'm like, why is it on by default? Can't you tell I'm on like a, like a regular laptop here. I'm not <laughs> running mission critical stuff. Yeah. Uh, Linux, they, they made that choice on the desktop distros to disable the mitigations by default on the yeah. server distros it's on. But you know, you have to make a choice in, in it security. It's not a easy on off. You've, you've got to evaluate your environment. And we're going to get somebody working on a, a secure time protocol that does not require SSL. Use something else. I don't know what it is, but figure it out. Yeah. I mean, there's a number of things you can do. Do you ever, have you ever used those, uh, uh, they're NTP servers, but it's a little box that picks up the atomic clock via radio. Uh, no, I've never used one. I've heard of them. So I'm sure it's That's different. That's kind of cool. It's different in different countries, but in the United States, there's an East Coast and a West Coast uh, right. radio station that is constantly transmitting a reliable time source. Uh, it's not truly secure because, because somebody could try and override it. Yeah. But it, it's considered an out-of-band method to be able to get network time. So then you could have a trusted host that you didn't necessarily require a secure connection to. Well, plus if you had multiple sources, right, then you could check whether yeah. or not there was a difference between the two, and then that would invalidate any kind of replay. Yeah. And you could always get your security from other protocols. Like you could do a, a layer two VPN between a host and the right. time server. So there like you go. There, there's other ways to work around it. But again, probably overkill for most people. <laughs> you know what they say, the best laid plans of Microsoft men often go astray. Yeah. So just, just keep that in mind. But moving on from Microsoft over in, a, I don't know, Linux land? Makes it sound like Disney World. Linux, Linux land. land. Uh, some, some positive news. This I'm um, pulling this from Slashdot. Debian, Debian, Debian turns 30. 
which coincidentally <laughs> is also the number of ways you can pronounce that word. So yes. this is this is exciting, right? This is wow, 30 years of is it Debian? Is that how you say it? It's Debian. Debian. Okay. Yep. That is the correct way. It is, yes. Okay. Uh Debian was created by a gentleman named Ian Murdoch. Yep. And he had a girlfriend or wife at the time. I don't remember if they were married or not. Mm. Uh, but her name was Deborah. And so when they created the distro, they just merged the two names, oh. Deb Ian, and there it is. Uh, I don't know that she ever actually developed on it or not, uh, and they they split up not long afterwards. Uh, oh. but the name of the distro. It, it was the distro that broke them. That's, that's <laughs> probably true. Thirty years later, here we are celebrating the demise of their relationship. <laughs> you know, Ian he he passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't remember exactly when, but but he passed away. Uh, but Debian lives on, and to me, it, it turned thirty years old. Like that is a a a a badge of honor mm. for a Linux distro to last that long. Many of them come and go. Uh, I, I know, Daniel, you you were always a big, was it Mandrake? What was the one that you liked early on? So it was, was it Mandrake? It probably was Mandrake at the time. Right? Then that became Mandriva, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so I, I used Mandrake for a hot minute, and then I became a Slack user, and it was like all Slack all the time. Yeah. And, you know, distros come and go, but there's they only do. a couple that have been around a long time. You mentioned Slackware. Yep. Uh, or you did mean Slackware, right? I did mean okay. Slackware, yes. <laughs> so, so, you know, Slackware has been around probably the longest, I think, of you the think? distros. Um, More than Red Hat? Yeah, Slack, Slackware wow. was before yeah, Red Slack's Hat. Slack's been around, huh? Now i got to find yeah, that out. i got to the Linux family tree again. But uh, uh, Slackware's, Slackware's been around a long time. Uh, Red Hat's been around a long time. SUSE Linux has been yeah. around a long time. So there's there's a handful, but they're usually these big corporations that are, are making money somehow. Not not Slackware. It's just one guy. Uh, <laughs> it's just one guy. Debian, I I think is one of the most underrated Linux distros because it's so important, right? Uh, if you think about Ubuntu, no Debian, no Debian, no Ubuntu, no Ubuntu, no. <laughs> Really gonna, I he's really having a stroke. Hate, this is the one thing about this. Is, you want to start a religious war in the Linux community? You just start saying things differently and watch them go. It's to pronounce yeah. Linux. I I don't say Ubuntu right, but it, it's supposed to be Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Yeah, yeah. which is it's hard to which say. Which is technically so, like a um, like a Swahili word or something like something that. Something like right? that. Yeah, yeah, it's like an African dialect, uh, which means. Community. Friends? Community is that I think it? It's yeah. a community. That's why yeah. their icon was supposed to be like three people holding hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It means humanity. 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 There you go. Well, today we learned. We're learning yeah. a lot of things Yeah, today. we really do. But Let's just make the podcast us learning things. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is for me every week. You guys are late to the party. Well, what I what I want to highlight with Debian is that it it is the foundational building block of a lot of other distros. Do you like Ubuntu? Well, Canonical builds that from Debian source. Do you like Linux Mint? They build that from Debian source. There are a number of distros that are out there that, like Daniel mentioned, would not exist if it wasn't for the work that Debian does. However, people look at Debian as like a developer's distro. Hmm. You know, if I'm a developer, that's what I'm going to use. But in production, I'm going to use something else. And the reason they do that is because there's not really a good way to get technical support with Debian, hmm. right? And like the, the packages that they typically bundle with them tend to lean developer style, right? A lot of IDEs and yeah. a lot of built-in languages already there. You don't have to do a lot of installation. All that stuff is kind of baked in, right? And sometimes they make decisions that are different than the other distros. Uh, I remember as, as uh, uh, System D was catching on, Red Hat jumped on it, all the Red Hat distros switched. Canonical jumped on it before Debian did. That was a weird departure there for a little while mm. uh, where Debian wasn't quite ready to adopt System D. They have now. So, you know, 
that that puts him in an interesting place. But in my Linux career, I always know if I if I want like a kind of an unbiased opinion on a technology or whatever, I can look at how Debian is doing it and use that as kind of my frame of reference to measure other distros. So it's phenomenal that they've been around for 30 years and uh, you know, kudos to that team for keeping it going, even after you know losing the the figurehead, uh, still keeping things together and, and doing a great job for thirty years. It's kind of funny you mentioned you were going to go to the um, the family tree of Linux. Anybody who's ever seen this thing, it is ridiculous, right? And I guarantee there are plenty of these that no longer exist. And for the fact that, like you said, Debian's been around for thirty years, holding strong, that that's kind of like a a testament to its brand that you should go check it out if you never have before, maybe give it an install, you might find yourself going, hey, this is my cup of tea right here. I kind of like this. It's not so bad. Yep. Slackware and Debian both came out in 1993. Red Hat came out in 1994. Whoa. So, yeah. How about that? Was, that? Uh, Slackware was one of the early ones. Um, and really, I mean, of current distros, I think it's probably the oldest, the oldest. one that's still around. How about them? I'm just checking to see if anybody else is older. It doesn't look like it. Pop OS. That's (laughs) and you know, Daniel, you got started with Slackware. Oh no, you didn't. I didn't get started. So my first Linux distro was uh, Red Hat, and then it was Corel. Okay. Yeah, I had Corel Linux, and then I went to Mandrake because I was like, I started getting into, okay, I want to, I want to move into this being my daily driver. And Mandrake was kind of like that thing at that point in time. It was the most daily driver, desktop-friendly kind of thing going on. I was really wanting to watch my DVDs and that kind of stuff. And that was the best support was on that. And it was like the best, um, you know, the lowest ticket price to entry to that kind of stuff. And at that time when I was learning, that's where it really gravitated toward. And then I kind of moved into more Red Hat because I was getting the server administration and then from there, you know, I got into becoming like a Windows admin for the most part. And Linux kind of fell by the wayside for a hot minute. But Slack, when I did run it, that's what I would run to would be Slack. Well, I it, Slackware was my first distro. That was, oh, was, that was really? what I started with. Slackware, I believe it was 1.0. It was a nice. 1.1 or 1.1. Uh, 1. 1. But uh, that was my first distro. So I it holds a special place in my heart. Hmm. But I wouldn't use it in production today. Oh, like, it's <laughs> not really suitable for that. But that's where I started. That's crazy talk. Uh, <laughs> Sophie, you, you have a I, very perplexed look on your face, by the way. Uh, you guys were talking about the guy that, that made Debian. Yeah. And so I, I looked him Ian up because I wanted to know more about him. Did he murder somebody? No, he... Oh. Well, it's, it's so sad. sad. The oh, way okay. he died? I don't know. It. I don't know that I should share it, but if you want to know, I guess you can Google it. But it's... Yeah, he he unalived himself. Oh. It's it's sad. That's not like cool. the story is just it's, and then like his whole there's a whole piece on his death on Wikipedia. I'm sorry. I don't mean to this is a happy time. This is yeah. a happy occasion. Debian turns 30. Woohoo. But I didn't know I didn't know much about the guy that <laughs> well, created it. I really it. believe you. Very convincing. So I, yeah. I was like, "Oh, I want to learn more about this guy." And I that was a mistake. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to right. I didn't mean to derail. Continue with your thought. You were going to say something. I'm sorry. Buzzkill. <laughs> <laughs> it's just jeez. I mean, it's like there's a whole thing about the police and like, oh god, it's just yeah. You know, there there have been a few a few incidents. I mean, if you take Linux as a whole, it's open source project. You have thousands of developers working on it. There's going to be some incidents. I, obviously, you know, Ian Murdoch is a a, a huge character, a, a, like um, Linus Torvalds, right? Yeah. A, a huge figure in the Linux world. Uh, but there are other ones, like the the guy who created Riser FS, hmm. where you know there was a whole big thing there too. So there's been some some controversy and struggle over the years. 
uh, I can understand him having, you know, probably mental health issues just because it goes back to what I was saying about Debian being so important yeah. and so under-recognized in the industry. Mm. I mean, there's even a list in this article about like all the things that it's found in from cluster systems to just, you know, regular desktop desktop computers, but it says it's even on spacecraft, right? Well, in spacecraft. I say in so it's, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Memoriam to Ian Murdoch and the 30 year anniversary of Debian. We should all spin up a VM of Debian, play with it for a week. See, see if we like it. We should go a step further. And give away free copies of Debian. Uh, okay. Man, you're a crazy man. <laughs> but if that's what you want to do, I say we do it. Free copies for everyone. <laughs> I feel like I'm on Oprah right now. Yeah. All right. You get a Debian. You get Debian. I, feel, I feel a little better now. So yeah, Debian turns 30. Debian, Debian, Debian. Happy Debian. birthday. Don't forget Debian. Debian. Happy birthday, Debian. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, so, we're so happy to celebrate. But we'll go ahead and move on because I, if I keep reading from this article, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be depressed. So we'll move on. We've got another article here that uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the show. We were gonna talk about cheese, and I'm ready to deliver on that. This comes to us. Uh, Hold on. MSN. Cheese. Don <laughs> gets that reference. I wish There's I understood. There's probably a few people uh, out there getting that reference, but he's Dean now. That's right. <laughs> Oh, how I wish I understood. So microchips were found in the, uh, or microchips in the Parmigiano and other ways Europeans are fighting fake food. So I read this at first and I was like immediately conspiracy. Uh, and I just, it's, that's not what it sounds like. It's not like they're chipping and they're tracking people eating the cheese. It's to prevent from counterfeits. It's to, you know, make sure that the authentic Parmigiano Reggiano stands out from, <laughs> from, I guess, the fakers. I didn't realize there was counterfeit cheese. I didn't think that was a market. Yeah, right. Like there's a big black market for Parmesan cheese. Apparently. Yeah. Look, let's, let's be honest, right. Uh, when it comes to high end aged bottles of wine, aged cheese, I've heard of wine. I've heard of like wine. Cause you can uh, buy bottles of wine. They're super expensive, but not cheese. I'm sitting here thinking craft is Completely <laughs> ripping these people off. I think most people would not be able to tell the difference. And and maybe I'll, let me scale back that generality just to me. Yeah. I certainly couldn't tell the difference uh, between an expensive wine and a cheap wine, expensive mm -hmm. cheese or cheap cheese. I'm not sophisticated enough for that. <laughs> uh, but it's a thing and counterfeits are out there and they need a way to track it. And apparently the cheese industry has embraced every bit of technology possible to be able to do this. Uh, they're not tracking you, but they are tracking the cheese, which you can eat and they can still track it, but they're not tracking you. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Hold on, what? <laughs> so basically they've come up, they've been working with another organization to come up with a microchip, <clears throat> a kind of like an NFC uh, tag, uh, but not NFC, something different. Uh, they can be embedded in the cheese that uh, they are super dodgy on the details on this. Like what they tell you is, Hey, it just goes in the cheese and it's, it's got an identifier in it that's tied to a blockchain. So you can actually track in this, this ledger uh, from, from the milk that was, that was received to making it into cheese, to taking it to the store, to putting it on your plate, all with this chip that's embedded in the cheese. And Oh, don't worry if you eat it, it's okay. It's an ingestible chip that you can Does eat. Does it still work? So this is where things get a little After fuzzy. After you emasticate it? <laughs> and, and, and this is where we, we have to put our conspiracy theory hats on for this one because basically they, they, they give some mixed signals. I'm trying to find the quote in the article as quick as I can here because they say, don't worry about it. It actually breaks down in your system 
and and it won't harm you, and we can't track you because it you know it, it doesn't work remotely. Oh. So, yeah, since they can't um, be read remotely and can't be read here, once they're ingested. Here's where my head's going with this, right? So I can eat the microchips because they're edible, right? And if some person was like, "We got him. He ate the cheese, right? Where is he? Oh, we're we're following our, our beacon here. Why are we in a sewer?" <laughs> <laughs> right. Eventually, I'm assuming that's where the microchip ends up. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> let me let me let me poke at this a bit here. That they, they say you can't they can't track you because it doesn't work remote. And what they mean is like they can't sit at their headquarters in Italy right. and see where you are, right? But the, the chip is in you if you've eaten it, and it absolutely still works. It's just a proximity issue, right? So gotcha. you know that was so got to be like super close. Yeah, or probably not even that close, right? Because um, Amazon was experimenting with their storefront, and Apple was too, where you could just pick up an item off the shelf mm-hmm. and walk out the door, and it would proximity <laughs> doing a lot scan. Of that in California now, yeah, <laughs> without the identifier. <laughs> yeah. um, but they tell us, hey, don't worry, it breaks down in your system, whatever, it's safe. But then they go on to say, uh, it can withstand extreme heat or cold. It can actually be stored for years in liquid nitrogen. That years? tells me it's probably not going to break down in your system. And they even say they did an experiment where they stored it in a uh, a simulation of stomach acids for three weeks. And I, I know as a kid, I was told not to swallow gum because it takes seven years to break down. Right. Not true. <laughs> like nothing stays in your system for more than like, right. 24 hours or something, right? You either absorb it or you pass it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this chip totally goes full circuit through your body. <laughs> and uh, and it's nuts that they're even considering doing stuff like this. Well, hey, they make you swallow those camera pills now, right? So they can check your I've GI tract. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry? Oh, yeah. You can get a pill, which is a camera. You boop, down a glass of water. So if you're having any kind of GI issues, they just, when you're, you know, they, they got to catch it, quote unquote. And then the recording is there and they can see what's going on inside you without invasive surgery. I don't like this episode. You ever watch one of those YouTube videos of like a roller coaster and you kind of feel like you're on the roller coaster because yeah. it's point of view? Yeah. POV, <laughs> yeah. my, my internal organs. There you can see we're entering the large intestine. Yeah. <laughs> Put your hands where, in the air. Here's where the fun comes. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, the moral of this story, there is one. <laughs> Is we're going down Corny Mountain. <laughs> oh, uh, always, always got to push that. That's right. Push that envelope. Uh, <laughs> Peanut bog. No. Uh, uh, there it is. There so it is. The moral of the story here is <laughs> Sophia is straight up yeah, broken. She's crying. I think <laughs> this is an emotional roller coaster. Really this episode is. for her. Really is. Uh, just because you can do something with technology doesn't mean you should do something with technology. And this is definitely going to get some backlash. Now, fortunately, I am not wealthy enough to buy the type of cheese that they are protecting. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, so I'm not at risk today. But this technology does have a way of working into other products uh, and hopefully is not a glimpse of the future to come. I'm kind of like you. I don't have enough uh, of a sophisticated palate. Maybe they can use the pill to check whether or not I've eaten the right cheese. <laughs> yeah. If I'm going to spend a ton of money on something, it needs to last forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's not the uh, one and done experience that I have to just store up in the memory banks. Yeah. Do you remember? I know you've seen this, Daniel. Sophie, have you seen the movie American Psycho? Christian Bale? Not all of it, but I know what you're talking about. At the beginning when they're at the restaurant 
Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and they yeah. get these tiny little dishes, yeah. and then they get the bill, and it's like eight hundred dollars a plate, and like, oh, that's pretty affordable. <laughs> and <laughs> those are the kind of people who have to worry about this cheap stuff. Yes, yes. Today, cork sniffers. Yeah, I'm I'm an Olive Garden enjoyer, so that tells you that I probably would not know if I was wow, eating the real Parmesan. Powerful enemy with this guy. That, oh, did I? I'm not a fan of Olive Garden. It's fun. It's yeah. uh, I mean, I can I can make Chef Boyardee at home. I don't have to get them yeah, to make it for me. Yeah. It's the salad. Fifteen I, bucks I enjoy a plate. Salad dressing. It's quite good. But yeah, that, that tells you I'm probably not going to be able to tell if, if the Parmigiano yeah. I'm eating is actual yeah. Parmigiano Reggiano. I I don't care enough, you know. Yeah. And yeah. especially if now I know potentially I I might consume a microchip if I eat the real thing. Here's well, what's I'll just up, eat though. the fake stuff. If there if if there is a competitor out there making cheese that. The people have to put a, a damn chip in so that you can tell the difference. Just sell it and go, yeah, it's not theirs, but it's damn good. Yeah, and it's cheaper, and, and you won't get chips. It's way cheaper, man. I'm buy yeah. that all day. Yeah. If I man. want chips with my cheese, I'll I'll go buy some some Lay's or something. So before I before I just lose my mind, uh, we'll go ahead and take a quick break. Uh, but don't worry, we will be back in just a little bit with some security articles here on Technado. As you can see, it's Black Hat day one. There's already a ton of activity going on, and we've already had a super busy week with a bunch of other stuff that's been going on, and we're really only halfway done. It's a little overwhelming. I've already gotten lost a few times, uh, and this is just day one. So let's see what's going to happen. As you can see, this is obviously Sentinel-1's booth. I don't even know that you could call it a booth. It's more like a, a biome, like a Minecraft biome. It's kind of giving me Stranger Things vibes a little bit. But right when you walk in, they have like five or six giant booths. Of course, they put those at the front because you get sucked in. But I have to admit, this is really, really cool. And it drew my eye. So whatever they're doing, it worked. So as you can see, I'm a happy camper. Uh, there's so much going on. This is Tenable's booth. They've got like a, a family feud security game going on back there. Uh, they were guessing like the most popular cybersecurity certs uh, just a second ago. But the whole day, this has just looked like a giant mountain, and then they just changed the screen, and now they're doing a game show. So I, you know, it's like Disney World. It's cra I, I feel like I'm in Lilo and Stitch right now. I'm a very happy camper. If you've watched any of our courses with Mr. Anthony Sequera, chances are you've heard him mention Splunk once or 10,000 times. We stopped by their booth, picked up some swag. I think we got maybe a couple of things for him. Anthony, they miss you. So this is what Bitdefender has chosen to do with their booth space. They have a giant car. And surprisingly, this is not the only race car in a booth in this building. There's like three of them. Uh, but this is Ferrari, I think. And they've got a little setup over there where you can actually pretend like you're racing. I tried it earlier. And I got out on the second lap. I just I just got up and left because I was crashing the car and it was a disaster. But I did have a lot of fun. We came all the way to Las Vegas and we ended up in a galaxy far, far away. I'm here with two very familiar faces. How are you all enjoying Black Hat so far? Well, I have to speak for both of us. I have a completely unbroken winning track record. I've won 10 battles to zero, but we have confidence in Lord Vader that one of these days he will prevail. What do you say, Vader? Uh, I do have to upgrade the security on my Windows store, but after that, everything should be fine. May the force be with you. So 
if you guys watch the show regularly, you know that there's certain companies that come up a lot, and this company in particular has given us so much content. We just want to thank them, and they're here at Black Hat with us right now. So I'm currently sitting at 19. I have never played blackjack in my life. And I'm really hoping Caleb's not steering me wrong here. The people next to me said they would help me out. I don't know that I trust him. So let's hope he doesn't screw me over. Oh, we're done. Oh, we're done. Okay. I lost. I don't even know how that happened. So you guys always make fun of me because I'm so young and I never get any of your references. So I couldn't think of a better way to cap off day one of Black Hat than by jumping into a ball pit. We're going to see if we can't find a, uh, a ball that says check marks on it and maybe win some stuff. So I'm going to hand this off. Let's go. Okay. I found it. Look at that. You're not going to make fun of me for being a kid anymore, are you? Here with my good friend, Wizard Spider, for day two of Black Hat USA 2023. Yesterday was packed full of stuff. My feet hurt like heck, and I was very tired at the end of the day yesterday. But yeah, thank you for that. Uh, but I'm rejuvenized, ready to go. I I'm curious to know how Wizard Spider feels about how today's going to go. Wizard Spider, what you think? We flew all the way out to Las Vegas, Nevada, to Black Hat USA 2023 to see John Hammond. We came to his booth, and he's not here. So I, for one, am sorely disappointed. But I'm here with Kyle to get the inside scoop on what it's really like to work with John. John, could you answer that question for us? So it turns out John is actually the next generation of generative AI. You know, And most people had no idea as an influencer that's what it was. So chat GPT, that obviously is what feeds his text, and then obviously plenty of the different uh, you know, deep fake capability, and that's what you get John, and that's why you don't get him here at the booth today. See, I knew it, I knew it. I feel like we did a webinar with him at one point. There was a glitch, you, you know. His voice, I mean, it's just too perfect. It's a little too studly. Voice actor's quality, and you can't be a voice actor and a security nerd, so. I think I saw a sixth finger on his left hand at one point. That's how you know he's AI generated. 100%. I'm curious how you got to the conference today. Did you take your bike or did you fly in? Well, you know, it was a tough decision because, you know, Vegas, eight hours before throttle. <laughs> I always take the F-14, but they don't do parts anymore. That's true. Well, I'm glad you were able to make it. Maverick, before I sign off here, anything you want to say to the folks watching? Absolutely. Picos, we will be your wingman anytime. Woo! Black Hat is dead, and we are in mourning. We're counting down the last 10 minutes of day two, after which point we'll go back to our hotel and cry that it's all over. But we will rejoice that we got to experience it. My first Black Hat was super fun, and I hope that it's the first of many. Please send me back next year because I really love this and I didn't get to see everything yet because there's too much to see. Overall, great trip. 10 out of 10 would recommend. I'm here outside of ACI Learning's booth with Mark. Mark is a longtime viewer of ACI Learning and IT Pro's content, uh, and he's also a fan of TechNATO. So I wanted to grab him for a quick interview. Mark, how are you enjoying Black Hat so far this year? I am having a good, really good time. Yep, meeting people like you. I'm glad to hear it. This isn't your first year, right? You've been here a couple times? Yeah, I've been here four years. Four years, and you're staying for DEF CON. Oh yeah, that's the reason I'm here. <laughs> okay, so this is just like the, the appetizer. Yeah, this is the appetizer to see what the other side okay. is doing. Okay. We're not staying for DEF CON, hopefully next year, but I'm looking forward to hearing about how it goes because it sounds like it's a really big deal. So, so far in your time here at Black Hat, do you have like a favorite booth that you've seen? Um, I have to give a shout out to uh, Trellix since they helped me get here. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. 
I like Nova Four just because, you know, especially with everything that happened with Kevin, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, he got a lot of us into this. So, yeah, um, I'm glad to see them here. And you guys, obviously. Well, yeah, we got the Mario Kart, so it's, it's hard to beat that. So I'm curious, and no pressure, I, you don't have to say my name, I totally get it. Do you have, so, <laughs> that's a good one. Do you have a favorite edutainer from IT Pro? I like the show that you guys do with you and Daniel and Don. They make really good oil and water, and you're kind of the mixture in between. <laughs> so. I, I do my best. I try to understand the references. Sometimes I don't get them all. Well, we're really glad that, that you've been a longtime viewer and that you enjoy the show. It's great to hear feedback from people that actually watch the content, you know, and, and enjoy it week after week. So. Hopefully we'll be able to put this in an episode and you'll make an appearance on Technado right alongside us. Maybe we can get you in there in person sometime. What do you think? Hey, I would do it. <laughs> hey, look at what the old guy does. <laughs> well, I've got your card, so I will keep your name on file and we'll reach out to you. Thank you so much for joining us for this interview. Right, Appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you. Well, that was fun. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, I had a great time and I learned a lot. So I'm, I'm very glad I had the opportunity to go and I hope I get to go back next year. Maybe I'll see some of y'all there. But like I said, we've got some great security articles that we're going to get into. So we'll go ahead and jump into those. This comes to us from Bleeping Computer. And I promise we'll, we'll toss to Don and Daniel in a second because they're going to have a lot to say about this. Uh, WinRAR flaw lets hackers run programs when you open RAR archives. I'm saying that right, aren't I? Yeah. WinRAR. Mm -hmm. So what is it that, that this uh, it gives us a uh, remote, gives attackers... Like remote execution abilities? Sort of, yeah. Um, I, I don't know that it counts necessarily as remote execution. Um, but so what they can do is they, they can basically craft an archive, an, an RAR archive or, or a zip or whatever, as long as you're using the, the WinRAR archiver. Uh, and that when you open the archive, they can trick it into automatically executing code. So I say I don't know that it counts as remote code execution because so they're, they're not actually connected. Code execution or command execution, whatever yeah. the heck that is they're mm. doing. That would just be some sort of execution. Got right because they're not remotely telling it to do anything. It's just kind of more like malware at this point, mm. where it's kind of built in. And once you run the thing, it does it, and off to the races we go. Yeah, and normally if you were to like get an attachment or whatever, and you open it, you see an archive. An archive is like, well, it's a it's a container. And you open the container and you look at it and you, if you see a VBS file or an EXE, an MSI, something like that, you're like, oh, not running that. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then you don't do it. But in this case, you open the archive and just blam, it, it, it delivers the payload, right? It, it, it uses a, I think it was a buffer overflow, right? To, to write beyond the memory that's allocated for WinRAR. And then it's able to execute code that shouldn't be able to execute. Now that could immediately then chain other exploits to, right. to create remote execution. But, uh, but that's the thing. The reason I wanted to highlight it here on the show is uh, they the the researchers who discovered this did responsible disclosure. They they told WinRAR. WinRAR made an update and pushed it out. So you just have to update to 6.23 and you got your patch and you're in business. Uh, now, I, I think I've said it here on the podcast before. I might be the only person on the planet who's actually registered WinRAR. So I, <laughs> I do own a license of WinRAR. And so when I saw this, I immediately checked mine to see what version it was. And I was running 6.21. Uh, so I was actually two versions behind. Row, row. 6.22 has who knows what. Uh, and <laughs> 23 is what fixed this. Uh, I've gotten spoiled. And if I've gotten spoiled, I, I have to assume other people have as well by software that automatically checks for updates right? Mm -hmm. Our operating systems do it, regardless of which operating system. If you run macOS, Windows, or Linux, they all do automatic updates these days. And so we don't really worry about updating our operating systems anymore. 
And then other applications like Google Chrome or Microsoft Edge, your Office Suite, they do automatic updates. And so we don't worry about it there. But in the case of WinRAR, not only do they not do automatic updates, they don't have an update system at all. So if you're running an outdated version of WinRAR, you don't know. So it's just your responsibility to go out there, check to see what's the latest version of WinRAR, and make sure that you have it. That's right. And, and if you want to update, you have to actually download the installer and reinstall as if it was the first time you installed it. And, and, off and, you go. and Don, t- tell me if your experience is anything similar to mine. That's typically the hardest part of doing like proper security updating patching is those third-party apps that we use for X, Y, and Z reasons in our businesses that may or may not have, it, at the very least, even if it does do some sort of like... Uh, interactive updating where you can say, hey, check for updates and says schedule. I have, maybe I've got a thousand PCs on on my in my network. How do I centrally manage those things and make sure that those are getting done? And if they're not getting done, do I get any kind of reporting? Is it going to tell how you start to see the nightmare scenario? And that's just with one product. Yeah. Maybe I've got 10 products. That's what makes patching. Sorry. As a hacker, if someone is looking for ways to get in, I typically am not going for a Windows vulnerability. I'm typically not going for some because those things, like Don said, they get updated fairly regularly. When those things get found, I don't have zero days sitting in my pocket for yeah. Windows and Linux and, and Mac OS. I very well may be able to go out and find some easily found proof of concept code for that all I need to do is modify a bit to gain, gain access through some third-party app that you're using to you know, compress image files Oh, you didn't see that, but that's part of your web app. And now I made my way through that and you're not updating it because it's working. And therefore, if it ain't broke, don't touch it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't get updated. And now I'm in and that's how I make my way. in. And now I have access to your operating system. Thanks through those third parties. And that's why this is such a big deal. Yeah. And for me, I, I'd like to think that I should know better uh, because I, I live in this world, but uh, uh it's funny, I got to thinking about it. I was like, why do I even use WinRAR, yeah. right? And and the, the story is, a million years ago, I worked for a bank, and at this bank, we had a site license for WinRAR. It, it was the archiver that we used on all of our machines, and I don't know why it was chosen. They had chosen that before I, I was hired over there. Um, and so at home, I purchased a license for WinRAR back then because I wanted to make sure that the archives I created at home were compatible with the archives we were using at work because the the way it would create zips, not not even RERs, but the way it would create zips was a little bit different than like Windows hmm. and other things. So little compatibility issues would pop up. And then over the years, it just became my standard. Whenever I get a new computer, I bought it. So I'll just install WinRAR and use it. But I was thinking about it today. I haven't touched an RER archive in forever, like yeah, hot minute, I mean, huh? well over a decade. I, I don't know if anybody even really uses that anymore. Um, in fact, I'm more common to see like seven zips, yeah. which I don't think WinRAR even supports. Uh, so at this point, I'd actually be better off removing Plus, WinRAR. Doesn't seven zip support RAR? I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I it, think does. it does. Yeah. I don't know if it has an auto update or not, but it might. Well, it might. Uh, so you know, should I switch to seven zip? You know, something that that yeah. maybe is a little more modern. Or should I just use what's built into the operating system? Because Windows, Mac, and Linux all, all have now. where they yeah. can handle zip files. Yeah. And then I don't have to worry about updates. That would be what I would think you would do. Like just if the operating system supports it and your operating system is doing things like auto-updating, just go with like it's yeah. one less, right? It's all about reducing attack surface, right? 
The more things you add to your attack surface, the more likely it is someone's going to find something wrong and be able to use that to gain entry into that system. Therefore, the smaller the attack surface, the more difficult that becomes. So that would that would probably be the best way to go, Don. Yeah. So for me, I, I had a use case like 17 years ago. He's <laughs> <laughs> hanging on to it for dear life. <laughs> and I just never reevaluated it. But you yeah. know, an, an incident like this makes you look at it and say, oh, maybe I should have reevaluated now, it. Now, here's one of my favorite things about this article as I was reading through. It says... As a uh, a target needs to trick a victim into opening an archive, the vulnerability severity rating drops down to 7.8 as per the CDSS. And I'm thinking to myself, that seems backwards. <laughs> yeah. Because if you, all you had to do was trick a user into opening an archive, that's not the most. Actually, you're, you, I would say it should go up. Because <laughs> it's almost guaranteed someone's <laughs> going to open that thing. I'm just being facetious. Well, I mean, the they make it sound like that's hard. Yeah. And right, uh, that, that increases I, the complexity or whatever to getting it to execute when that's fairly straightforward. You could you could send an archive that says, do not open this danger, it's malware. And someone's gonna go, I gotta see. Click, click. Oh, yeah, they were right. Malware everywhere. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. I I think it's probably trivial to trick people into opening. Yeah. And it, especially when they just have to open the attachment. Most people feel like that's a safe action. Right. Uh, it's like the, the old USB key, right? You leave a USB key in the parking lot. As long as you put at least one picture, like yeah. you have something labeled as a JPEG, yeah. people are going to open it. They got to like, see. Ooh, what's this yeah. picture? Yeah. 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 But it sounds like based on, based on this conversation... There's not many people that are still utilizing this. It's it's not like something that's a whole lot of people would have to worry about. So, but for the tens well, of people Don that might, and, uh, for Don yeah. and, and the ten others, and right? His, uh, his support group. It, it sounds like they just it's <laughs> it's a matter of like just keeping it updated, right? Yeah, yeah, and and, and I did. I, I updated to six point two three, but but then it got the gears going in my head of there's going to be another exploit. These mm -hmm. they've had a few over the years yeah. and. Is it worth it for me to even continue using it when when most of the time I'm just like right clicking on an archive because I, I don't even see the program right yeah. I just I right click on an archive choose extract yeah. and it's it's doing it through WinRAR but I don't I don't see it and I'm mm. I'm not really realizing a benefit so I'm taking mm. an unnecessary risk. Okay, well for the tens of you that are in the same boat as Don, <laughs> you know, just keep that in mind, keep your stuff updated, and yeah. maybe Talking maybe it's to you, time to Jerry, move on. You know? Sally. <laughs> You know who you are. I'm, I'm hey, trying to see. You don't need if, to call them out by name. Yeah, I'm no trying need. to see if Seven Zip has an automatic update. I was hoping to be able to install like an older version of it. Uh, as of the filming of this episode, twenty three point oh one is the current version of Seven Zip. Um, let me. Yeah, I'm gonna install an older version and just see what happens. I'm, I'm gonna get in trouble with the IT department. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, aren't you the head here. of the IT department? <laughs> well, yes. Uh, <laughs> you gonna put himself yourself in timeout? Yeah. Throw it in a virtual machine. They'll never know. That's what I. I mean, uh, that's what I heard other people do. <laughs> so we, uh, you know, we do have. We don't. We don't outright block software on company machines. This is that the day job for the yeah. podcast listeners? We don't outright block software, but we do log software. So whenever there's unauthorized software, uh, Greg, our uh, VP of corporate IT, he, he gets that notification, he gets that list, and then he reaches out and acts upon it. So yeah. it's like, uh, you know, you get a little bit of leeway, but it's, it's a known thing. So if 
if this is not authorized software, then I'm going to get a call from Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I love when you refer to that as our day job because it is, yeah. but it for, for whatever reason, it puts in my head that like we're doing this at night, like we're Twitch streamers yeah. and we're just doing this overnight <laughs> to like make ends meet. This is this is what pays the bills for us. That's right. Anyway, so so Made 12 bucks last month. <laughs> yeah, 12 whole dollars. Uh, and that was without the ad revenue. That's right. That adds a good 60 cents on there. Uh, easily. So, so going from talking about something that's that's maybe a little bit older Got an article about something that's this brand new. This comes to us from the Hacker News. Google introduces first quantum resilient FIDO2 security key implementation. And that sounds very futuristic. So what this is, it's a FIDO key that's just is resilient to quantum attacks, I guess, or quantum quantum resistant encryption algorithms yeah. or something like that. So let, let, let's not read into it too much uh, because the technology is just the same stuff that we've got forever. <laughs> but, um, back in, I believe it was back in December or January, we reported on new quantum-resistant encryption algorithms that were being selected by NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. NIST was evaluating a whole field of encryption algorithms, and they selected a group of four algorithms that are going to be the future that everyone needs to adopt and so on. And back then, at that time, I made the comment that, hey, when a new encryption algorithm comes out, you probably don't want to be on it day one hmm. because problems come up, right? When it gets out of there in the field, when the rubber hits the road, when the when the plan meets the enemy, things change, right? And so that's kind of what we've been seeing this year is 2023 has rolled on. There have been some exploits and vulnerabilities found in the encryption algorithms, especially some of the, the low power ones uh, that we've, we've reported on those earlier. However, this, is, as far as I'm aware, is the first high profile implementation of one of those algorithms. And the one they're using is called dilithium which I believe is a Star Trek reference yeah, a Star to Trek reference. Uh, but it is the first of, uh, from what I've seen, of those four to be used in a, a high-profile product. So it's a FIDO2 key, works exactly like every FIDO2 key that's out there, like if you use a YubiKey or um, Google's Titans or Titan yeah, key. Yeah, I think it's Titan, Titan key, yeah. Uh, you know, whatever key it is, if you use one of those, it works the same way except the algorithm it's using to secure your private key on that device is dilithium. And so now we're starting to see some of the big corporate entities actually rolling this out. And that means it won't be long, definitely in 2024, that we're going to start seeing things like uh, Cisco ASA firewalls and uh, Palo Alto and, and other VPN devices are going to start adopting these algorithms to use. And they're quantum resistant and they're very, very strong encryption algorithms, but resistant like something being water resistant is different <laughs> yeah. than being waterproof, yeah, right? What's fire resistant mean to you? <laughs> yeah. Like if I put on a fire resistant suit, would you walk into the burning building or <laughs> which would you be still less apt to do so? Um, not technology related, but why does flammable and inflammable mean the same thing? That's a good question. I don't understand the English language sometimes. It's like when you say something's valuable versus invaluable or yeah, yeah. priceless the, means that it has a high value kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, our, our language is challenging. It's just, <laughs> I feel bad for those that are learning it. God bless you. <laughs> so let's uh, let's put a practical spin on this. So if you listen to the podcast way back in January when we talked about these algorithms, you said, screw that. I'm not going <laughs> to mess with that until they make me. That, that time is coming soon. Mm -hmm. uh, over the next few months, we'll see more vendors picking that up. And definitely in 2024, we're going to see these algorithms get mainstream acceptance. Technically, they've already got mainstream acceptance. Yeah. NIST picked them, uh, but we're going to see more and more of that. So that, that's what's really important on this one. Well, and, and quantum computing is still relegated to basically nation states at this point, right? 
Like you yeah. don't have like everyday access to a quantum computer. Have you have you would, seen what they look like? Yes, they're crazy looking. And they, they're like, they hang from the ceiling, yeah. and and you have to have like liquid Lo- nitrogen. Lots of gold or, looking. Oh, like it's it, very it's very insane, cool. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the the terrorists don't have it yet. No, no, um, they don't. But you know, the some of the nation no, states. Mr. Do. Robot has no access to this thing. <laughs> Oh, wow. I see. Uh, Sophia's got her eyes on it. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a metal chandelier or That's, something out yeah. of a dark crystal. Yeah, right. It's, like <laughs> it's very steampunk. <laughs> you need like a Skeksis yeah. needs to come out and yeah, tell you how yeah, it works. Yeah. <laughs> see, the thing that came to my mind is uh, it's like if Lumiere was a cyborg the guy from Beauty and the Beast. That's what that looks like to me. <laughs> that is a phenomenal analogy. That's what that looks like. Going on here. Kudos on, on doing a movie reference, <clears throat> yeah, though. Yeah, that, that's right. We've all seen. Doing my best. <laughs> yeah. So I know I'm fixating on the wrong thing here, but when you said dilithium and you were like, oh, it's a Star Trek reference, so I looked it up. It is actually a real thing. It's not the thing that Star Trek says thing? it is, but dilithium is a uh, it's a diatomic molecule comprising two lithium atoms covalently bonded, which uh, does, that means nothing. But, you know, it's not it's not <laughs> what it oh, is in Star Trek, yeah. but it yeah. is a real thing, technically. It's I, just in Star Trek, it's like a crystal or something. Totally makes sense, but I thought they made it up for the show. Well, now you know. Dilithium crystals, fact. they Today probably I learned. did. But yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. not right. actually a crystal that's used to power ships or whatever it was in Star Trek, yeah. but mm. but it is a real thing. And it does, the Wikipedia article says, this is about the real substance. If you're looking for Star Trek, go here. So they know. Okay. Um, but yeah, fun fact. Now you know. I know I'm. that's the wrong thing to fixate on, but you said that and is had it to go on find the periodic out. periodic table of elements? No, so in the show, lithium is right. Lithium is lithium yeah. is, but di- because dilithium is just it's like dihydrogen. You know, it's just yeah, a, like okay. a bonding, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. But in the, I guess in Star Trek, uh, it's it is shown on a periodic table as number eighty-seven, which is actually francium or something. Okay. So it's depicted as being on the periodic table, but, but it's not. not. So now you know. Interesting. Anyway, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to throw us off. And no, just half half right now, now right. you know. The other half is lasers. <laughs> I can't make <laughs> I can't make my own references, so I just have to do deep dives on you guys' references and Man. teach myself. By the there way, I started watching G.I. Joe again mm-hmm. recently. That is a damn good show. <laughs> like there's like drama and suspense yeah, and yeah. action. It's like it's a really good show. I'm like, how have we devolved into what cartoons are now? Because they suck. That's true. Like, I've got little kids and I watch Paw Patrol and it is yeah. hot garbage. <laughs> right? Like, my son is all about Chase being on the case, but I'm like, bro, let me show you something. It's not all bad. Have you watched Bluey? Yeah, so I like Bluey. Bluey's pretty entertaining. Yeah, Bluey's pretty good. Um, what's that other one with the like Mickey Mouse and their... It's, oh, it's it's like it's a two D cartoon, right? Yeah, but it's Mickey. Super good. Yeah, that's, oh, that's pretty super funny. Super good. We, it's hysterical. In the Pizzette household, we call that gross Mickey. Oh, so, really? Yeah, we, yeah. We you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, we don't watch that. That junk is funny as crap, bro. <laughs> I like that he said gross Mickey, and it's you were like, like yeah, dude, that's it. It's watch, like Ren and Stimpy. Watch, yeah, it looks very much like Ren and yeah. Stimpy. Watch the one where um, Daisy and Donald they they get sick of having to do everything with Minnie and Mickey. And they so they fake being ill so that they don't have to go out with them, and then they show up to 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 basically nurse them back to health. It's hysterical. This is hysterical. the hard hitting discourse we need yes. on Technado. That that just had me in stitches. This is what the people come here for. Yeah. So so we'll we'll I promise we'll go back to, to some security related stuff. No, we won't. This we, eventually we'll get lies. there eventually. We'll go from gross Mickey to gross security or something. So this next article is part of a segment that's this one of my favorites here, and I'm gonna do my best. Uh, this segment is called Don't. You see me look to the side. That's me looking to Daniel like, was that good? good. So uh, this article, it comes from Wired, but I'm viewing it on Web Archive because 
it, it wouldn't let me view any more articles. So this, is, <laughs> <laughs> so this article says uh, an Apple malware flagging tool is trivially, put that in quotes, easy to bypass. So it's a, a background task manager tool is supposed to spot malicious software, but it, it has some troubling flaws, apparently. Yeah, it, it's a neat it's a neat idea. It's a neat tool. So when software runs, typically it loads into memory and it does its stuff in RAM, right? And occasionally it writes to disk. And there's certain areas you expect to write to disk, like your documents folder inside your profile or whatever. This background process runs on Mac OS. And what it does is it looks for when a program is running from memory and starts writing to areas of disk that it really shouldn't, right? Or, or even just attempting to write to an area. So permissions probably block it. Your system's probably safe. Mac OS is pretty secure as far as OSs go. Uh, and so it watches for that. And if it sees inappropriate access, it notifies you. You get a little pop-up on your screen telling you that the software is potentially doing something malicious. As a user, you can choose to override it and allow it or, or block it, right? So it puts, it puts you in control of what the software is doing. So that's good, right? That's what we want to see happen. Well, security researcher Patrick Wardle, who if if you follow Mac security, you've heard his name. He's actually one of the leading Mac OS um, security researchers, independent from Apple. So he's, he's his own person. He took a look at it and he had created a tool called, uh, I think it's called Block Block or Blocky Block. What, what is it? I forget what his tool is Blocky called. World. Um, <laughs> block Block. I was right the first time. So he has a tool called Block Block that does the exact same thing, right? But it's third-party software. He wrote it. He released it through his company. And like Daniel was just saying earlier, if you could have it built into the OS, wouldn't that be better? Now you don't have to worry about updating it and all of that. It's managed by the vendor versus installing third-party software. But Patrick Wardle, he knew that he had a hard time with the software that he wrote, and there were a lot of challenges to doing what it was doing. So he, he was curious to look at Apple's implementation and see if they had overcome the challenges he faced a different way. And what he found was that they had not addressed a number. He found like three vulnerabilities in it right away, ways that he was able to trick the system, uh, one of which required admin privileges already, so that one you kind of throw out, but the other two did not. There were ways that he, he couldn't stop the tool from running. The tool would run and do its thing, but he could block the notification to the user. So even though the software was trying to do something malicious, the user would never see it. Uh, he submitted one to Apple, and Apple did fix it, but you know wasn't really moving very quickly. And so at the Black Hat conference, he went ahead and disclosed these other two, uh, even though there isn't a patch available for them yet. So what was interesting about this to me was, so he, because he was making the same similar type of software, he knew of all the underlying issues that went along with creating this. And he was having trouble defeating them himself. Mm -hmm. So, and of course, that piqued his curiosity to go, Apple, how, how did you guys do? Let me check and see how, if, oh, yeah. And then he would submit to them, hey, here's an issue with that. And they would go, cool, squash it. But yeah, but you see, I can do it again. I just, that's the way I did it this time. You need to fix the issue yeah. that causes, and they're like, no, 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 no. Here's how it works, player. I tell my user base security, and they go, sweet. And then when you give me an issue, I fixed it. I fixed the issue. Well, you didn't, you didn't fix the thing that makes the issue, though. That doesn't matter. I fixed that issue, so I am doing security. You see how this works? <laughs> yeah, and and he brought up that point. And I, I said he he released or disclosed this at Black Hat. He actually did it at DEF CON. I had the wrong conference. Oh, DEF CON. Uh, so they're right basically after. married, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what he was saying was, and I don't necessarily agree with this, so he said that uh, 
by vendors like Apple half-heartedly releasing security features like these, it gives people a false sense of security. You think that you're more secure than you are because you've got this half-baked security tool doing something. Now, I disagree with this because I feel like 99.9% .9 of Mac users probably have no idea this tool exists. <laughs> and and so how can you be giving them a false sense of security when they, when they don't even know the tool is there? Yeah. yeah. And, and any security is better than no security. That's so true. I, I think Patrick and I, 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 hey, I'm not a security researcher. I didn't present at DEF CON, so who mm. am I? I'm just some some jerk on the internet. Uh, but I think he needed something to present at DEF CON. Uh, that does seem reasonable. And mm. this is this is a, still a good topic because it does raise the awareness of the tool that it is there and that it does have some security issues. And hopefully Apple, and they do seem to be at least working on it in some way, shape, or form, right? So uh, that that very well may be the case. That yeah. he just needed something to talk about, and he got this. It's funny, you know, that um, uh, Windows machines, they have the AMSI system, mm -hmm. right? And that's pretty trivial to bypass. And maybe it's kind of like that, where done is better than perfect. And like mm. you say, something's better than nothing. And hopefully they continue to work on it and make it better. This is the kind of the first iteration of this as it is out in the wild. And if it doesn't, if it does get bypassed, I think the article said it's basically rolling back the clock a year on what your security standpoint is, yeah. it's not a huge deal. Now, one thing they don't mention in the article, but I think is important people need to remember, is that Apple has diverted a lot of their developer resources away from Mac OS mm. and over to their other operating systems, their iOS, iPadOS, tvOS, you know, the, the other ecosystems they maintain. There is very little software development happening inside of Mac OS right now. Uh, in fact, the the bulk of the engineers at Apple that work on macOS are really just making sure it's up to date to handle new hardware to support the hardware releases. So is so, there going to be no more MacBooks and iMacs? And so Apple, Tim Cook is famous for not committing on this. People keep asking, like, are you going to do iPad OS? Like, is iOS going to become the OS? The OS, and he keeps saying no, no, no. But with every version, you get more and more iOS in macOS. macOS mm. starts to look more and more like iOS with every single version. Huh. It doesn't make sense to maintain two OSs that look Run, identical. Yeah. You know, why why not just have one? So I feel like we're we're going to get to that point. It makes sense. They've got their own silicon now. Yep. And they use the same chips in the iPad as they do in the MacBooks. Like there's no difference. Um it doesn't make sense to have two different OSs on the same architecture from the same company that so tell me to buy Apple stock without telling me to buy Apple stock. <laughs> uh, I think that ship sailed. I think you had to bought Apple stock like 20 years ago. Yeah, but what if you buy it now and all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Like they have like a big breakthrough and that's what they're kind of hiding with this. Aren't they the most valuable company in the world? Are they, I have no idea. I don't I buy stock. I'm pretty sure they are. <laughs> so, uh, and I, Are they really? Yeah. Wow. And, and this isn't a, a stock podcast so please do not no, act no, no, on no. anything because we i just having fun. i don't know crap but <laughs> I, I, don't know I just crap. have to i have to think that if you're the the most valuable maybe it's the most valuable private sector company but like they're, I have no idea no, you're right as they, of as of the end of june really? three trillion dollar market value making it the most valuable company ever wow yeah more than most countries Holy gdp crap, three trillion dollars trillion so when you're that Woof. big even if they came up with a cure for cancer tomorrow like I, I, I don't know how much bigger yeah, you can how, get. How much is a how much is a stock to purchase? Good question. One share. Yeah, what's one share running? <laughs> we'll uh, find out. Yeah. Uh, right now, right now, one share, one seventy six. Yeah. 
well, $176. Not, just I was going to say, that's not. If I had like a bonus, if somebody, if somebody yeah. paid me like, I don't know, like a bonus, I could use that <laughs> to so, buy some Apple stock. So in in this impossible scenario you're describing. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's completely hypothetical. Yeah. You know, stocks are like Bitcoins. You can buy fractions of them. That's true. That's yeah. true. That is true. See? But, so you don't need a bonus. <laughs> there goes could, your argument. I could just keep using my plasma blood money. <laughs> just buy them one at a time, one like percentage that's at it, a time. That's it. By the end of the year, you'll have a full stock or a full share. <laughs> so, so this is this is also. I mean, it's semi-related, but but kind of not. So, have you guys ever you guys ever played the game Wordle? Yes. You familiar with that? Okay. So the guy you guys were talking about, Patrick Wardle, and if you he's a well-known Mac security researcher, right? You mm-hmm. probably have heard his name, right? So he's the cousin of the guy that invented Wordle. And Interesting. They, it's, they just had the same last name, Wardle. I was like, that's not a common last name. So I looked it up, and they are cousins. And they've got another cousin that's like a filmmaker or something. So very smart family. Very genius family. Anyway, just thought it was a fun fact. If you play Wordle... There you go. It's created by Patrick Wardle's cousin. Today we learned this episode has been it's packed it. full of more random facts yes, than any is. other episode <laughs> ever. Yeah. We should just call this the random facts episode. <laughs> Daniel's not getting a bonus, and I'm definitely not getting yeah. a bonus. <laughs> well, I think that's pretty much gonna do it for this for this episode. I did want to remind y'all that Technado is sponsored by ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. So you can use that promo code Technado30 for a discount on your IT Pro membership. And if you're listening from the Technado website, just look for that sponsored by button and that will take you right to the IT Pro website. Uh, you can also check out ACI Learning's webinars and live on social events. We had one last week on software-defined networking. So if you missed that, that's available on ACI Learning socials. That's with Wes and Anthony. It was a pretty good webinar. I watched it. I quite enjoyed it. Um, we've got some good ones coming up in September as well. I think we've got an all things cybersecurity coming up with Daniel. So keep an eye out for those as well. And I think that's pretty much it for me. Anything that I'm forgetting? Jeez. Um, <laughs> oh, I wish I understood. Uh, old school is a classic. Um, you know, we do have Wild West Hackenfest coming up. That, that is true. Right? Which is it in is October. Quickly approaching. Yes, yes, that is, I think, the third week of October. I'm pretty sure. The, tw- like, uh, the week of the 20th, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Yep. yep. And uh, while I, I won't be there personally, you guys will be. We will and be there. And so we will have a film crew out there at Wild West Hackenfest. If you're going to be there, be sure to look for the team and... Uh, we're we're gonna try and film an episode of Technado from Wild West Hackenfest. Are we? Are That'll you, be fun. Are you coming in via satellite? Uh, we're still debating whether I'm or gonna just come in remote or whether we'll try and find somebody on location. Uh, right, because I mean, John Hammond will be there. Tim yeah. Medine will be yep. there. John Strand will be there. I mean, yep. there is a. It's a real who's who. Yes, it is. It is indeed. Yep. And so, I mean, Daniel Lowry's gonna be there, so that tells you what kind yep. of an event this is. I have been there since. The first Since one. the Dark Ages? Is, yes. or, or maybe you, Technado yeah. listener, <laughs> if you want to be on the podcast, that may be your chance. Uh, you know, if you're if you're just passing through Deadwood, South Dakota, as many yeah. people do, uh, <laughs> be sure to swing by and check it out. Well, all right. Thank thank you for reminding me, because you're right, that is that's coming up pretty it's fast. It's gonna be cheese cheese at us. It'll, <laughs> <laughs> all these people just yelling cheese. <laughs> it'll be here before you know it. So now you know we'll be there. You have plenty of time to prepare. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Technado. I hope you had as much fun learning as I did. We'll see you next time.